John, we're midway through the Subway Series, all two games of it. New York baseball still thriving. Yeah, Mets, I think, look great right now. Yankees, I'm still a little worried. I think they're a little too dependent on Aaron Judge and a little concerned about that bullpen situation right now. We'll be talking Yankees, Mets, Subway Series, and our special guest, Brian Cashman, will take us deep on himself and his future, the Yankees' future, and the future of Aaron Judge. All of that and more on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John, the New York Yankees are on pace to win 99 games this season. So utter doom? Is that what you see with them right <laughs> it, now? Utter doom? It sure doesn't feel like. It feels like they're on pace for 59 wins the way they've played lately. At least they got a couple of wins under their belt, but I'm worried. Why? Bullpen, hitting. I mean, Judge has carried this team. He's clearly the MVP, but uh, I, I just don't see it. Yeah, you know, John, I I think the last time we did a show, you were like, hey, let's not panic about the Yankees. We're kind of like over overstating it. And I think I generally still fall into that. I think they're among the handful of teams that could win a World Series. I think they get Stanton back at some point. That will help. I think some of their relief pitchers will fall in line. And yet, I still feel they're a grade below the Dodgers and Astros. Are they a grade below the Mets, if we're thinking about teams that could win the World Series? Uh, yeah. They're, they're definitely, everybody's a grade below the Dodgers. They win every day. And we saw the Astros, the way they dominated the Mets. They, they beat the Yankees. Um, generally, they've done it for years. That game that we saw last night and. You know, I know will be more games to be played, but I mean that rotation of a bullpen is not good. To bring in Lewisaga, a talented guy, but six ERA into a Subway Series game that's a close game, and have him be the key guy in the bullpen. I think that's a bad sign. They, as we're speaking, John, they've won two straight games and got multi-inning close from two guys who have been two of the worst relievers in the sport this year, in Lou Trevino and Jonathan Loisaga. The flip side of that is those two guys have a little track record of being excellent, and bullpen guys tend to be up-and-down, volatile stocks. And I always rather go to volatile. You know, look, I've been thinking about the 1996 team a lot, because if you remember that year, they had about a 12-game lead in late July. They actually trade for Cecil Fielder, and we all, me, you, others, right, that they won the trade deadline. And the lead got down to two and a half in September. And all the things that are being written now about the Yankees were being written then. They really weren't that good. They can't do anything. And then one of the reasons I bring it up is, at that point, one of the things we were writing about was how terrible a trade it was to get Graham Lloyd. Uh, he was just brutal for them. They tried to reverse the trade. I think they did reverse some of it because I think Pat Listash was hurt, who was a guy well, who was, a good in, memory. was in that trade. I wrote a book about the team. So, uh, And then they don't win the World Series without Graham Lloyd, who was just right. great in the postseason. If you remember, he was like torturing Fred McGriff and Ryan Kalesko, especially in the World Series. And I would always double down on talent. And I do think Lois Saiga and Trevino are talented. I think Clay Holmes is talented if they could get him back. Can I throw out a name? I've thinking, been thinking a little bit about why are the Yankees struggling? And look, everybody has injuries. I don't want this to come up. Everyone has injuries. And I'm going to mention two small names here. The first is Michael King, who was really, especially after they lost Chad uh, Green, a big Swiss Army knife for them. You know, a guy who helped them in every, every way out of the bullpen. I think they missed that. The other guy is Matt Carpenter, a lefty bat. He extended their lineup. And I'm a big guy, John, for I look at how guys perform with two strikes. 
because I think the postseason is all two strike at bats throughout because every pitch matters and the game plans are so detailed. You know, he was the best two strike hitter in baseball. I mean, he was one of the best hitters in, in baseball. At the All-Star game, I was going around asking people, who's the MVP, Judge or Carpenter? And, you know, some Yankee got a chuckle out of it. But, I mean, it's not that far from the truth. The guy was amazing, incredible, one of the best free agent signings uh, of the offseason. I guess that was in the in season, season, in yeah. season, but I think it was $2 million, something like that. Very, very good job by the Yankees on that one. Those are not small. Uh, King was great. I, I thought he could have been an all-star, wasn't chosen. There were a lot of pitchers who weren't chosen uh, that I think deserved it. But right now, I, I don't feel that comfortable uh, with what they have, who's healthy. I mean, Britain may come back. That that may help. Chapman has been up and down. I think to bring in Loisaga, and we have a different pronunciation of Loisaga, but that's good. I like yours. I think I might I might adopt your pronunciation of Loisaga, but I'll just call him Low. I think that's a bad sign. I really do. Uh, I'm concerned about them. Not nearly as concerned about the Mets. I feel good about them. I mean, you know, everything's gone right. They've done everything right, and everything has basically gone right. You know, when they uh, warmed up Wandy Peralta, both in the eighth and the ninth inning yesterday, somebody near me said, oh, no Chapman. And I said, Chapman? I said, here's a list of left-handers they're going to warm up before Chapman today. <laughs> that would be Wandy Peralta, Lucas Litke, Whitey Ford, Chuck Carey. Like, I was going through a long list. Like, like Aramis well. Chapman right now is a guy who they don't feel they can bring in the game. And by the way, I'll just say this, John. He's also a guy they can't bring in in a big moment in the postseason. They cannot get eliminated again because yeah. of him. No, I understand that. But a week ago, I think the fellow was a week behind. He's got to catch up on the post or something. A week ago, Chapman looked good, right? Or yeah. maybe it was 10 days ago. I don't know. But he looked good at some point. He's been up and down. He's been bad. He was good, bad. So I'm with you. I wouldn't give him the biggest moment. Obviously, it's not going to be King. Hopefully, Efros, they think it's not too serious. He was really good. I mean, to bring him into a game in Fenway Park where I, I was there, you know, one-run game in Boston, you know, and Aaron Boone said, oh, he's had closing experience. Yeah, he closed one game against the Pirates <laughs> at home in Wrigley. I mean, everybody was drunk in the crowd, right? I mean, this is a serious game. What, what, what's the... more important, that they were drunk in the crowd <laughs> or he was playing the Pirates? Uh, yeah, Pirates, the Pirates. <laughs> but, I mean, Boston, I know they're not the same this year, but it's still at Boston. He really showed something there, and now he's out for a little while. So I think that hurts them. Uh, I'm worried about the bullpen. I'm also worried about the hitting. Let's face it. Aaron Judge has basically carried this team the entire year. Carpenter was great, certainly, while he was there, and hopefully he'll be back at the end. Stanton has been Stanton. I think he's very good. Not the MVP again, uh, but very good player. LeMayu has been solid. They're not getting any production. Donaldson is like a defensive player now. He's not an offensive player. That hurts them. They have guys like that in the lineup who are making a lot of money, and they're just great defensive replacements, but he's there the whole game. Yeah, you know, Donaldson would be my example of two-strike hitting. Donaldson's been one of the worst two-strike hitters in baseball this year. He has Joey Gallo two-strike. Yeah. Joey Gallo, New York Yankee. How about against right-handed pitching? Yeah. And there are a yeah. lot of right-handed pitchers in the yes. league. It's, it's not, not good. It's not, not been good. I'll throw out one last name before we transition over to the Mets because I wonder if it's a good transition to the Mets because I want to talk about one and two starters. On this show, you really have been praising Nestor Cortez, and that is rifle. Like, he is continuing to pitch. As we sit here, I think you have to ask a question. For a game one of a series, 
would you start him or Cole? Now, I think you start Cole, but that's why I want to ask a Cole question. During this losing period, the Yankees are not scoring a lot of rolls for Garrett, a lot of runs for Garrett Cole, but there has to be a moment where he throws the five-hit shutout or one run. He hasn't done that. Do the Yankees have a Garrett Cole problem at all? Uh, you know, I don't think so. And, you know, that that won't be a debate for them. They're, they're just going to start Cole, course, obviously, yeah. in game one. They're paying him $36 million. He was an all-star. Well, they're paying Donaldson $25 million, right? Yeah, well, they batted him third and fourth in the two games I was up in Fenway. So, I mean, the money still factors in. But he he was an all-star. Donaldson was not an all-star. He's been a good, very good pitcher. Is he Scherzer? No. Is he Verlander? No. Is he DeGrom when he pitches? No. But he's still their ace, you know. So, I don't think there's any debate about that. And, you know, you say we're wrong about everything. I'm glad you brought up Cortez because I was right about that one. But... I'm remembering the first show where we said the the Angels were the real deal and the Mariners were the... Why would you uh, bring that up? <laughs> I don't know. I, bring I don't know. Is I this the uh, Humiliate Ourselves I'm, segment of the show? Well, I'm very regretful. I just don't let go of things like so, that. So, so you mentioned Scherzer and DeGrom. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about Cortez and Cole. You know, Cole, Cortez, who will start games one and two of a playoff series. That's the likely thing. Obviously, the Mets would love, if it's a playoff series, to be able to start... Uh, Scherzer DeGrom in 1-2. As we're speaking, DeGrom was pushed back again. Uh, and the Mets are playing the, oh, we want to insert Taiwan Walker. DeGrom's okay. A little rest doesn't hurt. Are we going to be dealing with this right to the end if Jacob DeGrom is actually going to be able to make that game two or three start? I mean, that did seem like a load of baloney, right? What were they? I had so many heard so many excuses. One of them is they wanted to separate DeGrom and Scherzer. I, I think... They were kind of suggesting because they go longer in the game. I don't think any – I mean, Scherzer goes long into the games. Chris Bassett than, goes long in right. the games, so right? So I, I really don't know why you'd want to separate it. You're in the Subway Series. You're playing the Yankees. I know DeGrom hasn't been as dominant against the Yankees. I think his ERA is like 3-5 against the Yankees. But, I mean, you want to put the hammer down now. I mean, the Yankees are struggling. It didn't make any sense to me. Taiwan Walker, obviously a good pitcher. Why would you want to rush him? And he's coming off a back injury. That doesn't. I'm sure he's healthy. I'm sure they're not risking anything. But... It made no sense. They are babying this DeGrom. He's a fascinating pitcher. I mean, when he pitches, there's nobody, even Verlander and Scherzer, nobody compares to him. But he missed 13 months. Now we're pushing him back. We're doing this. I mean, they're babying him for whatever reason. I don't know what the communication is. I don't know whether it's him or them or whatever. But I didn't believe any of their stories. And, you know, it's a concern because that is their hammer. That's why people are saying they're, even though I believe the Dodgers are the favorite, that's why people are saying the Mets are the favorite and they're going to win is because of that combination of pitchers. You know, you mentioned he's fascinating. I think it continues beyond the season, right? I I think he's going to be the most fascinating free agent as well. How do you price this? When he pitches... He's the best. Right. But he doesn't pitch quite as often as you'd like. When you think about the offseason, do you sign a guy and say, how much will I give a guy for 20 starts? Like, yeah. or, or like, what are you, what are, what are you, what are you buying? I, I, I think he's limited to only a couple teams, including the Mets, because you're going to be risking, let's say it's $40 million. That might be worth, he might be worth 80 million or he might be worth almost nothing. So it's an interesting thing. I, Mike Puma wrote an interesting story about how it's going, how much it's going to cost to keep the team together with Bassett and Walker and Nimmo and Degrom, who's going to be a free agent. He said he's going to opt out, and he certainly will opt out. 
I think Puma or whoever did it estimated $50 million. And I do believe that he and Verlander are going to use that Scherzer deal and they're going to be in that $40 million range. It's not unreasonable. I said, I mean, I'm not paying him $50 million for a half a season or whatever you might get out of him. I didn't, I thought it was over. So I, I texted one Mets person. I would, I'd give him two for 70. They said, oh, he's not taking that. So he's going to get a big deal. There's only a few teams he could get it from. I kind of think it might be Texas. I've seen some people say Atlanta. I don't see Atlanta taking that chance. I think basically there's Dodgers, maybe the Angels, maybe Texas. You know, there's only a few teams that will take that chance of a guy for $40 million who might be worth 80 or nothing. Yeah, you know, John, you mentioned Texas. I almost mm-hmm. feel like if you're a really superb team, I think he's harder to sign, especially if you have a budget. Yeah. Right. Like if I'm Texas and I want to take a puncher's chance or I'm the angels and I want to take a puncher's chance. Okay. I'll take a puncher's chance. Cause if I have him and he actually makes 25 starts for me, I've yeah. got a puncher's chance. But if I'm a really good team, the Dodgers, the Yankees, maybe even the Mets, do I stay away from it? Because I'm just so afraid of what you are rightfully calling the downside, which is potentially nothing. You know, yeah. the upside I- is the best pitcher in the world. Yeah. The downside is he doesn't pitch a lot. Yeah. I mean, the more I think about it, the Dodgers, they, they do that. They they go for short term, and they took a chance on Kershaw. That was a great took signing. took a shot on Bauer with right. that kind of deal, right? Right. So they, they could do it. The Angels, I mean, they've got those, they're top heavy already, so I doubt it's going to be the Angels. But, you know, there's only two or three teams, I think, that will do this. So it's going to be interesting. Could it be the Yankees? I don't know. I mean, obviously, they've seen him up close. They know how great he is when he pitches. Not that anybody else doesn't, but uh, it's going to be fascinating to see what, where he winds up. I mean, the Mets are going to be in play. I mean, I think they're going to make yeah. take a shot at it. But, boy, with Nimmo and Walker, Bass, I mean, they have so many great free agents. I'm sure they want to bring Nimmo back. I'm sure they want to bring Walker back. I don't know if it's going to, what did he say, $345 million? I don't yeah. know. That, Steve Cohn's got a lot of money. I don't think they're going to spend $345 million. Yeah. Going to have to make choices. Look, look, why don't we put a bow on this, on our New York, New York thing. The Mets are actually on, I mentioned the Yankees are on pace for 99 wins. The Mets are on pace for 103 wins as we're, we're doing this. And they're the feel-good story in New York. They have a better record than the Yankees. It feels like they had a better trade deadline than the Yankees. It feels like they have less problems than the Yankees. But as we're speaking, the Yankees are actually winning their division by eight games. Yeah. And the Mets are winning their division by three games. The team that is chasing them is the four-time straight NLE's defending right. champion and the defending champion overall. They know how to finish. Are the Mets going to hold on? I think they will hold on. Um, I like their situation better still. Uh, I don't think it's terribly tested. If if you can hold on, if you don't, obviously they got to play that extra round. I think their starting pitching's in a better situation. I think their bullpen's in a better situation. You know, I think they're just in a better situation. And you're right about the trade deadline. I think we all said the Yankees had a great trade deadline. I didn't love the Mets trade deadline. You liked it better than me. But uh, as it turns out, the Mets deadline looks pretty good. Vogelback, another home run as we speak. It was last night. He's been great. And Montas has not done it. Benintendi looks a little better lately, but not as good as he did in Kansas City. So I feel much better about the Mets. Yeah, you know, the one thing to keep in mind about the Mets they have the easiest schedule in the major leagues from here forward. They complete what is a very, very tough 10-game gauntlet on the road as we're speaking against the Yankees, right? It was Atlanta, Philadelphia, Yankees. Over the next pretty much month, they got the Dodgers next week. But the other games 
are series against all three last place teams in the National League, including two against Pittsburgh, plus series against the Cubs and Marlins. That's like their next 23 games. And so they might do a lot of damage in that period to open up against the Braves. That being said, I feel like the Braves are the guys who are chasing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in, in that movie where they keep saying, who are those guys? They don't go away. I think we all felt when the Mets won the 4 or 5, like they were going to go away. And then the Braves turned it back on them uh, recently. I don't think the Braves are going anywhere. I think this goes right down to the wire. Sure. I, I, I can't disagree with that. The Braves are awfully good. I've, they acquired Robbie Grossman, a guy we overlooked at, the, at least I did, over at the deadline. He did was doing nothing in Detroit. He's been good with the Braves. They got a good coaching staff. They get the best out of guys. They really do a terrific job. But uh, as you said, the Met, well, they do have an easier schedule now, but they've earned that. They've played a, the tough part of the schedule. I don't know, were you counting the Yankees as a soft part of the schedule? Because I did no. that in a tweet and it blew up. You know, people were upset or not. Some people thought it was funny, but. No, they're part of, of my gauntlet, the 10 game gauntlet on the road. The, the Yankees, okay. Yeah. I called it a part of the soft part of the schedule. So uh, at the time, they, they weren't looking so good. Looking a little bit better in the last couple of days, but. Uh, the Mets have earned it. They are in a tough division, and uh, I think they've been great, and they've had a great year, and they're going to win that division. Well, we'll be able to dig a little more into the Yankees. Stick with us. Coming up next, the Yankees general manager, Brian Cashman. Joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman is the longtime general manager of the New York Yankees, Brian Cashman. Brian, thanks so much for uh, joining us. I know you did, a, as we're speaking, a long media session yesterday, but we're glad you took a few minutes out of your day to join us here. Good to be with you guys. We go way back, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind, of all start, kind of all started, you know, at different points, similar time frame. Does that make us old, successful, both or neither? Anyway. He's still young. He's still He's young. young. I'm old. Cash, as we're speaking to you, your team is one too straight. Maybe, maybe it's righted itself, but it was in a bad enough period that you did what you do periodically, usually during a bad period, which is come out and talk to a group of reporters who want, want to speak to you. You took the temperature of the team, and as opposed to last year, you said that you really believe in this team. I wonder if you could drill down on that. Why, even in a bad moment, here in third week of August, do you believe in this group in a way that you didn't believe in last year's group? I owe you know a couple of things. So last year's group, I believe they were more than capable, but there was a six month long frustration of underperformance. You know, of seven out of the nine guys in the offensive lineup, and it was a head scratcher to be quite honest. And and we we still were able to make the playoffs when you know uh, enough games ninety one, you know, and have some things to be proud of but it was an underperforming group for some reason uh and we try to do a deep dive on it and figure it out but but this year's team's obviously a lot different in the fact that they've done a lot of things really well you can go turn the clock back and say hey if on this date we were this many games up in the first place when we were dealing with the winter discussions or or as we're entering spring training or leaving spring training, of course, anybody was signed up for that. So you can't lose perspective of from a wider lens of where we sit, what we've done, how we've done it. And for the most part, for a majority period of time, you know, we've done it well. Uh, and so that can't be forgotten. It's got to be acknowledged and respected and appreciated, at least, you know, from the leadership 
you know, I'm part of that leadership, you know, from the front office's side. And, uh, you know, we're in a marketplace that I, I would say my experience has shown me that, you know, you know I'll, I've used that, you know, analogy of Humpty Dumpty when it falls off the wall, you know, has a great fall, you know, uh, you know, all the king's horses and all the king's men, blah, 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 right? You know, our fan base, our, you know, local talk shows, our internet coverage our you know our media coverage that really you know is pretty loud and and uh and strong and sometimes accurate sometimes not as accurate um but our players being human beings are trying to you know navigate that as well and so i think it's important for for them to rely on each other rely on our manager our coaches as well as the front office uh you know, to recognize properly where we sit and what we sit like. And so that doesn't mean, you know, recognizing that the, the problems don't exist and, because when they do and trying to address them, but also re- going about how you address them. And, and so I feel like when I had to go speak, I spoke from the heart last year and was honest and direct, you know, echoing the frustration of our fan base about why is this happening? Understanding that it's, you know, this is a very difficult game, but this year it's, it feels a lot different to me. I think, I think we are on a very bad stretch. The stretch we acknowledge that, but I also feel like we're just off a little bit during this stretch. Uh, and in many games, most of our losses, if we did, and this is true, what happens when you're losing? If we did a little bit, we did a little bit something better, base running, uh, situational hitting, you know, getting a lead to the late end of the game, and and all of a sudden, one of your automatic guys surprisingly blows it. I use that game of inches a little bit conversation yesterday in the uh, in the press setting, and uh, and that game of inches, which was blowing our way and going our way the the first you know you know april may and june you know those winds of change kind of blew up against us a little bit now as we entered july and and uh some of it was by our own design some of it's some bad luck some of it's a little bit of injuries some of it's you know obviously underperformance and so collectively i think it's vitally important that uh you know we recognize that this is still a good team support it because they're not going to look for support right now from the outside because they're all wanting to win every day which is pretty impossible so anyway yeah like in, yeah, i don't really pop out in good times uh, i do pop up in bad times and and so yesterday i i felt like uh you know, especially watching the, how the pressers have played out lately. And, you know, Booney's obviously frustrated. It's very difficult. I've never talked to him about it, but I really respect uh, what managers have to deal with. I don't think I could do it with pre and post game, you know, the firing squad, so to speak, where you have to ask, you know, the writers have to ask the tough questions and the, and the TV crews and stuff. And then you have to face the music on a pre and post game every day, talking about people you care about and, uh, and uh, wins and losses, and obviously it's really difficult during a stretch of losses. So it uh, takes a unique uh, person to deal with that on a daily basis. And so I thought at, at least uh, let me pop out and give somebody uh, or everybody a chance to have that have at it with me and voila so i told uh, i reached out to zillow and said hey gonna make myself available you used the term head scratcher so i thought that was an interesting term you also said you felt the team was a little off i want to get at how this happened because you you guys were playing 720 baseball uh, you look like you're on the way to be the 1998 yankees which was one of your teams 61 27 historic team and then suddenly you were playing three 50 baseball and not over just a week or two it was over a fairly long stretch it was basically 30 35 games and a losing record over 45 games I know Aaron Judge has mentioned last night he mentioned that the team brought the intensity for the whole game I, I don't think Aaron Boone has agreed with that assessment do you think intensity was an issue and what else would you think the issue obviously the, there were a lot of injuries to the bullpen and the hitters and the the bullpen and the hitting was not good in this period, but what 
could possibly have caused a team to go from one of the best teams ever, at least one of the best starts ever, to you know one of the worst five teams in baseball for a fairly significant time. You know, it's again, that's where experience uh, matters. I think you know, we've been through this. We know it's a very humbling game. Things can turn quickly on you, whether it's injury, whether it's underperformance, that slumps that hit collectively at the same time or all of the above. And uh, that's why, you know, tomorrow you can't take for granted. I mean, how many times, you know, John and Joel, have we entered the playoffs with the odds on favorite 100 win team, odds on favorite out of Vegas to, to win the World Series and we get knocked out in the first round and upset. You know, it happened many a times. And, and so it could be a moment could hit where it's, you know, a bad play, a blown save, an injury to the wrong person and uh, simultaneous with a uh, few other guys slumping. And, and next thing you know, it's a game of momentum. And uh, you can ride that in those good times, which we did for a long period of time, you know, where we're on that magic carpet ride. Uh, but then, you know, you, you take, you know, you take on fire. And uh, next thing you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with a, a whole different animal. And then how you deal with it, you know, first and foremost, you know, uh, no one wants to panic and no one wants to, you know, you know, everybody wants to basically try to sail through it the best way possible and, you know, kind of continue to check our processes. But again, it's, it's a beast of the game, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's going to take you where it takes you and you have to deal with it. And, uh, but saying it is a lot easier than doing it. So how can it happen? seen it enough where it has happened so many times with really good teams and and so you just got to fight through it and uh i know our teams fight our team is fighting through it and and hopefully you know uh, you know we've had obviously better baseball against you know we we faced manoa and, and scherzer and and came out victorious in those games and and hopefully you can build on that so we can get that momentum going the other way back on you know track where you know, we benefited from that type of positive momentum before. Obviously, there's a long way from here to there. You mentioned the experience we all have, and we know how. I, I was mentioning before, say, Graham Lloyd was a disaster uh, after he was traded, and you don't win a World Series in 1996 without him because he righted himself in the playoffs, so we don't know. But as we're speaking, it was pretty. It seemed pretty clear that your number one priority going into the trade deadline was uh, Luis Castillo, and you didn't get him. Why didn't you get him? The price tag coming our way was was uh, was not something that you know we were willing to deal with you know, ultimately, and and then even in the end, when the dust settles with what Seattle did, I'm not even sure if our price tag that they wanted from us beats the price tag that Cincinnati uh, got from Seattle. So uh, obviously, we were we targeted a lot of different players in in the trade deadline, and, and certainly that was one of them. But ultimately, that was it. So uh, what we were willing to do, I feel like we did finish second in that conversation. Doesn't mean I I did or we did. You know, there's no obviously prize for that. Uh, but ultimately, what it was going to cost for us to pull down that player, um, that wasn't a comfort level of ours. And, you know, I know we were in the game. And then I think Seattle kind of blew blew the uh, the market away when they, they finished it off. So uh, congrats to them. They got a great player. And, and, you know, we moved on to other targets and, you know, that we had, you know, uh, ongoing dialogue going regardless. We weren't waiting on whether we can get Castillo or not. We were certainly uh, ready to pull down anything that would make us better if, if the price tags could fit. And, uh, you know, so thankfully we were able to to pull in, pull in Montas uh, shortly thereafter because we felt like ultimately those were the two best starters moved in the uh, trade deadline, you know, uh, going into it. Yeah, I mean, I think the Reds wanted uh, Volpe and Peraza. So obviously that was a quite a big price. And, uh, you know, Seattle paid a big price, and obviously now Castillo's doing well. We've all kind of praised your deadline at the time. I think everybody thought, you know, you got the second-best pitcher, Montas. 
to me, I, I kind of got the idea with Montgomery because I, I think he probably was not targeted to be a playoff pitcher for you, and you guys are all about October at this point. Certainly at the trade deadline, that was the way it was going, and it is now too. But I know some of the fans are upset because Bader hasn't, hasn't uh, hit or played center field. He's an elite center fielder. I get that, and that certainly is a need. But Montgomery has been fantastic for St. Louis. I mean, nobody saw this coming. You know, even Gallo's doing well. Montas has not done well. Is there any regret over the Montgomery Bader or anything else that went on? Like I said, we all praised it at the time. Nobody foresaw that uh, Montgomery would do this or that Montas would start this way. How does it feel a few weeks after? As expected. Uh, ultimately, I knew, again, I, I feel like uh, you know we made some tough decisions. I made some tough decisions and some tough recommendations. And so going into it, you know, listen, we traded a quality starter in Jordan Montgomery and a homegrown player that obviously was doing well for us. And, and knowing that he got to give to get and we were looking to satisfy an area of need that we but by doing so, we'd have to wait on it. So we're in that space where ultimately, you know, Jordan Montgomery's taking the ball every five days, uh, contributing to his team, which is no surprise. And and we're waiting on, you know, uh, Harrison Bader, obviously, to, to get healthy and then join our our band of merry men and, and be a choice for our, our manager, Aaron Boone, as we move forward. So ultimately, we're in the space that we knew we would be in when we made that decision, when I made that decision. And so ultimately, stay tuned to see how it plays out. We had to give up something to acquire. I think we're basically plus defensive everywhere except for center field. And so now we're in a position, uh, if we can unpack that present, we expect, which we expect we can, you know, uh, but we just have to wait on it for a period of time. And, and when we do, uh, you know, Aaron Boone will have a legitimate choice and weapon out in center field that hopefully will serve us well. And um, those are hard to get. And uh, that's why the cost was so extreme. And that was it. You know, as simple as that. So I guess stay tuned and let's wait and see how it plays out. But there's no no regrets because this is the space we knew we'd be in. We'd be, you know, having to tread water, waiting on our part of it. And while Jordan Montgomery was going to go plug and play in with the with the St. Louis Cardinals as they continue their playoff push and, and as they're solving an area needs. So you got to rock Peter to pay Paul sometimes. Cash, I'm wondering if I could ask a big kind of picture theory question. You, you, your team, obviously it spends a lot of money, but... We're seeing across town Steve Cohn's willingness to go much higher than you guys now. The Dodgers go higher. And you've kind of navigated in these recent years to stay under luxury taxes or stay under certain numbers. And I wonder if that's been penny wise and pound foolish. Ultimately, you had to trade prospects who have future financial value and add money as it goes along. Should the Yankees be much more aggressive, especially in the offseason with money? You need a shortstop? Go get a shortstop. You need a starting pitcher? Go get the guy you really want instead of counting. And if it goes to the top of the market, so be it. You're the Yankees. The, the ratings are great on yes. The crowd is full. You're a money behemoth. Why Why? Why don't you do that? I can't speak to the financial aspect. I'm not the business side of this team. But I can tell you this uh, and say it with pride. We obviously, we feel that we're operating at the highest levels. And we are still, despite it being a sport, you know, it's a business at the same time. And Steinbrenner family aren't the only uh, powers that be, they, they have a fiduciary obligation to their, their partners and uh, to run the business properly and make very difficult decisions. You know, I have full confidence that the ownership of this franchise is in great hands. Uh, and they're obviously forced like anybody to make very difficult decisions. It's very easy for, I think, anybody out in, in the outside looking in to say, oh, they have all the money in the world. No, they're cheap or whatever. But doesn't that just be just by people saying it doesn't make it accurate. I think the commitment level is second to none by this ownership. But Cash, uh, Cash, if I could just yeah. jump in, the, the thing I would say is, no, I don't think 
the word, I, I mean, I certainly never used it in print or on air in any way achieved. The thing is, your payrolls have been very similar to, say, 5, 10, 15 years ago. You're bringing in a lot more money. Shouldn't the payrolls kind of rise commensurate to how much the organization is bringing in? Yeah, I can't speak because, again, I'm, I'm a baseball person. I'm not a financial person. Um, I mean, the I team do does make big money. I mean, there's no question that and we have, and we, a, the revenue of the Yankees is the highest, I think, almost every year. One year, Red Sox was higher, I believe. But generally, the, re, the, the revenues of the Yankees are high and they're going higher. That's fair to yeah, say. You know, conversely, the expenses of the Yankees are higher than everybody else as well. Um, at the same time, which is fair to say, and don't forget, we funded our stadium on top of everything else. So our, our bills are bigger than everybody else's bills. Um, and our obviously, yeah, is our payroll one of the best? Is, is our revenues obviously some of the highest? But as I know, again, and I'm not a financial person, but I know all this is real. You can't say one without the other. It's what you got coming in and what you can afford to have going out. And uh, again, I'll, I'll leave that for everybody else that are above my pay grade to speak to. But I, I, I know the people that I work for, I trust, and I believe in, and I know they're committed, but they have to be responsible while being committed at the same time. Uh, and that's the tightrope that they have to do. Just like, you know, you just address, you know, asked me some questions about, you know, Luis Castillo who got uh, relocated from Cincinnati to Seattle. And, and I had some very tough decisions and recommendations to make about the price points attached to it. It's, it's easy to just go all in, I guess, and not care about, you know, uh, anything else, but that's not the world we live in. You know, I'm charged with making, you know, uh, very difficult decisions. I'll be certainly graded on them and, and live with them, you know, for better, or for worse going forward. And ultimately that's true of any, any uh, steward of a franchise too. Uh, but I do know that uh, the Steinbrenner family and, and, their partners are very committed uh, and has always been committed to putting a winner on this field and, and delivering a team that can contend for a championship. And on a yearly basis, they've done that and we've done that and we're proud of that. And uh, that doesn't stop people from making the argument. Can we do more at the same time? You know, you can make the arguments. I'm sure that we could do less too at the same time based on, you know, uh, things that obviously are above my pay grade revenues versus uh, expenses. Speaking of high finance, I'll hit the other elephant in the room, Aaron Judge. And I think a lot of people thought you made a very reasonable offer that could have been accepted. I think it was $213.5 million over seven years. And he was looking to be the, you know, commensurate with the highest paid players in the game. So we assume that to be around $36 million a year. At this point, and I've written this, so it's nothing that unexpected for me to say, uh, don't you think he's proven his point and probably should be? Right there, I mean, I'm not going to say Scherzer, you know, pitching is a little different. Maybe, I don't know. But don't you think he's probably proven his point that he should be up there at that $36 million or higher range? Um, and, you know, how badly do you need to keep him? I mean, it feels like he's the MVP this year. I don't think, can't even think, I mean, I guess somebody might say Otani, but I'm not seeing that. What do you think about what judges brought? And you think he has proven his point at this point? In spring training, we, you know, uh, appreciate the question. But in spring training, when we obviously uh, we had told our fan base that we're going to make a strong, committed effort to try to re-sign Aaron Judge and, and to restate that our commitment there is still there. And we'd love to be able to retain him. Obviously, he's put himself in a very good position. But in terms of negotiations, we said at the time, that we weren't going to go speak to it any further. So I'm not going to speak to negotiating points now. You know, I'm just going to continue to honor that. Obviously, we need Aaron Judge, uh, you know, to continue to do what he's doing. You know, obviously, he's propelled us to, along with his teammates, uh, you know, him obviously more clearly than others with what his contributions have been. And so, you know, we're proud of that. And, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll have a chance to 
to revisit things in another time and speak to it when 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 that happens and and when it's resolved one way or the other. When you say we need him, you mean going forward too? You'd like to bring him back, right? We've never uh, deviated from that. You know, that's the, that's an easy thing to say that uh, we've said it before. We said it after and i know he said it too he said he'd like to be a yankee moving forward and we'd like to have him be a yankee moving forward and obviously the uh the discussions are uh, regarding contract and those will have you know they'll take us wherever they take us cash one of the other important free agents going into this offseason is brian cashman i wonder if there's two things i could ask on that number one do you want to continue to do this and number two do you feel like the success or non-success of the 2022 yankees have any impact on moving forward if you'll continue to be the general manager of the Yankees? First question is, I like what I do. I appreciate being in a position to be doing it. I don't take it for granted. I don't assume, you know, tomorrow's promise uh, for me, just like it's not promised for anybody else. Uh, in terms of the second question, that's that's a question for others, you know, um, you know, that are above me. Uh, all I can do is go about my business the best way I feel it's possible, proud of what we've accomplished, you know, over the course of time, you know, whether it's in the short term or in the long term since I've been involved, you know, all the way back to, you know, when I started as an intern in 86. So proud of being a part of this franchise. Uh, It's an honor to be a part of this franchise. Certainly would love to continue to stay with this franchise. Um, But at the same time, you know, uh, those ultimate decisions get made by, by uh, the Steinbrenner family and, and uh, you know, they'll make that, those decisions in due time with all the information. That's the one thing about Hal Steinbrenner. He takes all the information. He has a lot of conversations with a lot of people and he makes uh, very difficult decisions. And so, um, you know, I can't really answer, you know, where, you know, those things will play out and how they'll play out. Uh, but I like doing what I'm doing and I, you know, certainly uh, see what happens in my future, whether it's here or anywhere else. It doesn't, you know, that's all to be determined in another day. So it's not for today. Last question for me. Uh, you know what? I think one of your great strengths is a thick skin, uh, I'm not sure how I would have taken it, but I mean, you've won, I think, four rings as the general manager, never had a losing season, never came close to a losing season, been a very steady hand. Yet when your name was mentioned the other day at the um, O'Neill ceremony, um, you did hear booze and you've acknowledged that. I mean, personally, I think the Yankee crowd has been tough. You know, look at Gallo, he's doing great now in LA. I don't know whether they're crowd or not, but I mean, you, you were built for this a little bit more. You know, what is your reaction? Obviously, the team has been struggling over the last month or so, maybe a little bit more than a month. But, uh, you know, what would you say? Those are fans, I guess. They don't look at your 20-plus years of winning and your four rings. How did you take that? Fans are short for fanatics. They are obviously our customer base, and they are obviously crazy interested in winning on a daily basis. And, um, you know, it's our job to, to provide, you know, hope and belief that this team is, and any team that we produce is, is certainly worthy of of their commitment, their time, their effort to show up at our games and 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 uh and their life to see financial support by buying tickets and watching us on 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 Yes Network, et cetera. So uh or traveling and watching us on the road, you know, wherever we go. So, you know, that Yankee universe is big um and it's strong. And uh, you know, they'll let you know when they're happy uh by throwing bouquets your way and and uh being proud of everything and then they'll let you know when when they're angry. And that's that comes with the, the slings and arrows and the, you know, the, the torches and uh, the pitchforks at the gate, you know, when things aren't going as well as, uh, you know, you'd hoped or anticipated. And so it's part of the gig. I get it. You know, our players deal with it, our manager, our coaches, our, you know, the front office, and, but no one likes to hear that, you know, you can't be in this arena if you're not uh, 
understanding that at the same time. So I don't uh, don't mind saying I'd I'd rather uh, have us be perfect and doing great uh, or doing well enough where you know that type of engagement is it never enters the uh, you know the circumstances. But uh, but that's not the arena sports, you know, and um, you know it's something you got to deal with. My job hopefully is you know to continue to find a way to make this thing better and, and allow our players to have success, support them when they're struggling and, and uh, get them back online. And, and when they do, and if they do, then obviously that stuff gets a little quieter and, and, and you don't pay attention to it as much anymore because you want to turn those, as I said yesterday, you want to turn those jeers into cheers. Hopefully the last two days, we can build on that and uh, get that positive momentum going. As a way to wrap this up, and again, we appreciate your time here, is to return to the 2022 team. And it's something that John and I were talking about at the top of this show, which is a little bit of the talented arms there, but the jigsaw puzzle of your bullpen right now, that there's kind of not real clarity about roles, and we're three quarters of the way through this season. Are you comfortable that there's not roles, but there's talent out there and roles will still be figured out between now and October, whatever day you begin your playoffs? Or does the general manager of the Yankees have some concerns? Because is when and if are Clay Holmes, Scott Efros, maybe even Zach Britton coming back, the bullpen not being settled three quarters of the way through the season? What do you think? You know, I, I think first and foremost, any general manager is always concerned. That's our job, you know, be concerned. That's why you try to line up as many insurance policies, policies as you possibly can have, because obviously underperformance and injuries are going to come and the bullpens are always very volatile. Um, I do believe that we have a lot of talent and then we have more talent, you know, due to come back off the IL, uh, whether it's somebody that's been out long-term in Britain, we'll see what that looks like or, or short-term in Holmes who's due to back, be back shortly thereafter his 15 day stay or, or Efros obviously thereafter at a time yet to be determined, but, uh, but we're, we'll be getting him back. So, you know, that's why you try to get as many as you possibly can, you know, and we have some guys waiting in the wings too. We had to call up Clark Schmidt. He's been, you know, a very good performer for us as well. So ultimately, you know, as many weapons as we can provide Aaron Boone, Matt Blake, Mike Harkey and Desi Driscoll, you know, the better we'll be served and, and our guys will figure things out, you know, games like the last few days when you're asked to, to have Trevino step up where he did against the Blue Jays in that final game of that series to secure the win or, or the wise last night is putting them in positions uh, that obviously are a little bit more battle uh, oriented, uh, which should serve us well moving forward as we enter October. Because when you're in October, as you guys all know, uh, all the teams you've already covered, not just Yankee teams, people ask to, to, to rise above and, and be put in more difficult and un- uncomfortable positions. Ultimately, every inning is is you know vitally important in October, and so uh, hopefully we're going to have enough personnel in the pen that uh, that have been called upon, relied upon, and somehow survived and thrived. Where you know it's a lot deeper than than maybe you would think right now, and I think it's certainly capable of that. And uh, we're going to play it out and find out. Cash, thank you for the time. I know you did a long one uh, yesterday as we're speaking. We appreciate you spending the time with us here on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Thanks for having me, and uh, be well. John, Brian Cashman offered us a lot of insights. I don't think we're surprised when he tells us that he wants to keep Aaron Judge long-term. What do you think? Well, they absolutely have to keep Aaron Judge long-term. So, no, not surprised at all. He didn't want to negotiate. They said they weren't going to in the press. They Judge didn't want to make it a distraction. Certainly, he's played undistracted and brilliantly. I do think ultimately they're going to have to meet his number or even beat that number, which we thought, although Judge didn't say it specifically, was in the $36 million a year range. I'm going to say eight years, 
36 million. What is that? 288, I believe. That'd be my guess. Where are you? Eight to three oh four, thirty eight right. a year. I think it costs them big time to do this. I think he gets over three hundred million. I think they get it done because as we see, they've had one player come through their system and be a great player in a quarter of a century. It's him. It's hard to let go. We they had to let Joey Gallo go because he couldn't play here. You can't let a guy who can play here go, who brings people in. Uh, to the crowd who stands up in the big moments. And I think we're in a fascinating situation, me and you, John. We mentioned Jacob deGrom earlier. I think the two most fascinating free agents and the two free agents who will get the most money this offseason are both New York players in Jake deGrom and Aaron Judge. That will all be for future days on uh, the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Thank you for listening to that show, a podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Andrew Hartz and Jake Brown for producing the show. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. John and I always need your five-star rating. We helps our ego. Please do that. Follow us on Twitter. He's at John Heyman. I'm at Joel Sherman with the number one, Joel Sherman one. We'll be back next Tuesday and every Tuesday throughout this Major League season and into the offseason as we follow Jake DeGrom and Aaron Judge. Thank you for joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman.